0: If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would take them, turn to Revelation chapter 13, as today the title of this message is The Counterfeit God. The Counterfeit God. In Revelation chapter 13, I'm going to begin reading verse 1 all the way through the end so that we can have the context of this chapter, and then I'm going to refer to some different parts of it as we go through. And once again, at the very outset, I do want to acknowledge the work of Dr. Bradford and Dr. George Wood, who have been so helpful in putting together this series for me, the scripture declares, and the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on each on on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion." The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshiped the dragon because he had been given authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life or the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints." Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given to do power on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that he could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to seek a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is six, six, six. Father, as we approach Your Word today, we do so very humbly. We are in desperate need of the leadership of Your Holy Spirit. I pray that You would begin to enlighten us and our hearts and our minds to the truth of Your Word so that we will not be confused, that we will not be left wondering, but Lord, that there will be the security for those of us who know You. And if there are any today that do not know you, whether they are watching online or whether they are in this building, I pray that today they will intersect your grace and follow you as Lord and Savior so they can escape the wrath of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I know that my time is a little shorter today than normal, but I do not want to rush through this. And so as I get to it, if you have to leave, see you later. I'm going to finish the word today rather than rushing through this because it's, it's that important. Today we approach a subject that honestly I have received more questions about than any other passage in Revelation, particularly in the day and age in which we live when over social media we are hearing a ton about the mark of the beast. We're in the middle of a pandemic. People are afraid. People don't know what they're looking at around them. I've been asked many times, is the mark of the beast the vaccine? Can I get the mark of the beast by accident? Is the Antichrist Bill Gates or a president? Is it a mogul that owns social media platforms? Is it another political member? How will this all take place? And honestly, church, we are living in a time when there are all kinds of conspiracy theories. And I believe that we're going to find out today that the answer to just about all of them is no. And we need a scriptural reason to know that. But I do believe that the answer to many of your questions is none of the above, and we'll see why today. To set this up, we first have to have an understanding a little bit about theology. And here's what I mean by that. Theology means a study of God. And for those of us who attend this church and have for any length of time, we believe at Grace Assembly that God is revealed in the Trinity. One God, three personalities, three persons. God the Father who is the initiator of everything. It is is through His will that everything takes place. Then there's God the Son, who said that the Father so loved the world that He sent His Son to the earth so that He could be the personification of the Father On earth, so that we then, through receiving Jesus after he had died for our sins, we could have access to the Father through the work of Jesus Christ. Then there is also God the Holy Spirit who is God's active presence on the earth right now. And his job is to glorify Jesus. His job is to draw people to Jesus. His job in this service right now is to work on your hearts so that regardless of the way that you may be living or what you may be doing, he draws you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's called the convincing power of the Holy Spirit, or the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And we count on that every time we gather together. It's him that leads us to a place where we know that Jesus can forgive us and we can enter into a personal relationship with the Father. So we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and it's primary to our understanding of the nature of God. The reason that is important is because the entire 13th chapter of Revelation deals with a counterfeit God. And if you don't know who you believe in, then you will be sucked into believing someone that is not God. And so here we have before us that has been described to us in this chapter, a counterfeit God, a counterfeit trinity. It starts with the dragon, and we met him last week. I'm sure you'll remember when we had a great Christmas service last week and talked about how he was actively involved in trying to devour the child when he was being born because he knew that if Jesus could be born, if Jesus could reign, then his hopes of ever ruling would be gone. And here is the picture of the dragon that is the artist's rendition that we had. It pictures his seven heads, seven crowns, ten horns. He is symbolic of the embodiment of the dragon, the embodiment of Satan. And we know that he did everything in his power to try to snatch Jesus, but he missed. Oh, hallelujah! That he missed. We now know that he had been cast down from heaven as a created angel, and and his demons are at work on the earth today. And the ministry of Satan is alive and well. How many of you know that just because the Antichrist may not have been revealed, that there is a spirit of Antichrist that is alive and well? We are told in in First John chapter 2 about the spirit of Antichrist. And it is the reason that so many of you, whether you are here in person today or you're listening online, have had trouble coming to Jesus. It's the reason so many of you come to places of decision in your life And you decide not to yield to the love of Jesus today. It's because of the satanic influence that is at work in your heart trying to tell you that if you do this you're going to miss out. That is the spirit of the world represented in this dragon. The dragon is a counterfeit to God the Father. He lifts himself up as something that he is not. And it's From the counterfeit of the Father, then, that we begin to see a counterfeit trinity emerge out of this passage. So we know that the dragon is the counterfeit to God the Father. By the way, he is not the opposite. He is not an equal. God has no opposite. There's no one to compare to him because he's defeated by another angel later on. But he is the counterfeit to God the Father. And then the Scripture tells us in verse 1, And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. How many of you remember back to that sermon we talked about the white stone and the name that God was going to give you? By the way, that white stone is going to have a way better name than any of the names that are written on this beast that comes out of the sea. And he said, the beast that I saw, this is what John is saying he saw, resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. So here is the artist's rendition of what this beast that comes out of the sea might look like to us. So we notice how he is described. He also has seven heads, ten horns. So he carries in him the DNA of the dragon. The one who is counterfeit to the father has the DNA of the counterfeit, It's interesting, because just like Jesus came to earth carrying the DNA of the Father, was God incarnate to us, God in the flesh, this beast of the sea is the incarnation of the devil himself, the dragon. And so the beast of the sea is the Antichrist. This is the Antichrist, so the dragon is a counterfeit to the Father. The beast from the sea is a counterfeit to Jesus, the Son or God incarnate among us. And he is the Antichrist. And so you notice from looking at this picture, and by the way, that that is an ugly animal. <laughs> he has a body like a leopard. He has heads like a lion, paws like a bear. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, this image comes directly from Daniel chapter 7. The first kingdom that this represents is the Babylonian Empire because Daniel described the kingdoms there. So there's the Babylonian Empire that's described here, which is like a leopard. Then there's the Medo-Persian Empire, which is characterized by a bear. Then there's the Greek Empire that is... Characterized by a lion and in depending on the version of Bible that you have it talks about and the teeth of it were like steel or its teeth were described almost as if it were a separate animal in some of the versions and so the fourth empire which isn't really described here except that it, it talks about the teeth is really an amalgamation of all of the previous empires put together, represented in the vision of Daniel's leopard and lion and bear, which means that in the end times, the Antichrist is going to be a representation of all of the evil empires that have held themselves in the past, and they are going to come together in that kind of a power. And so we begin to learn from this that the Antichrist is going to be represented by incredible political and economic power. And we are told that this Antichrist is going to have ruling power over the nations of the earth. There's going to be globalism. There will likely be a one-world government. It's possible that we will have a one-world economy with a common currency. And it is not difficult for us today in the day in which we live to look around and see all of these things are highly possible. In verse 2, it adds this tidbit, and the dragon, which is the picture of Satan, the dragon gave this beast, the Antichrist, his power and his throne and his great authority, When you begin to look at that, it mirrors so much of the trinity that we talk about as our God. And so here we see the dragon gives the incarnation on earth, the Antichrist, his power, his authority, his throne, just like mirroring what it says in Matthew 20, 18, when Jesus stood and said, All authority has been given to me over heaven and earth by my Father in heaven. The counterfeit, likewise, installs his power into the Antichrist. And what we begin to see is this is played out in the, in the context of a, a massive political and economic power. A coming government that we have never seen before that embodies everything that is demonic and everything that is opposed to Jesus. And you can begin to imagine in your mind... What the power of state and the power of the economy all aligned to push people away, to terrorize the people of Christ, to bring them to a place where you would turn your back and deny your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what we know. I know that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I know that the moment that I made that decision, I became citizen of another kingdom, I know that regardless of how the laws of our world may formulate themselves so that the decision will have to be made, will you obey the laws of man or will you obey the laws of God? I know that in that moment, should we face it, the power of the Holy Spirit of God will rest upon his people and we will turn our eyes to heaven knowing that we are members of another kingdom. But the pressure will be incredible. And then just to complete this in verse 3, it says, one of the heads of the beast seems to have had a fatal wound that has been healed. And the whole world is astonished. So, in trying to paint the picture of the counterfeit, we know that that sounds an awful lot like Jesus, who was crucified and died and rose again, recovered from the wounds. So this beast, the Antichrist, also through supernatural power will appear to have a wound that he will have recovered from that seemed to be deadly. And the whole world, as a result, will be filled with awe and wonder. So the dragon counterfeits God the Father. The beast of the sea, the Antichrist, counterfeits God the Son. And then in this chapter, we have another beast that is spoken of, the beast from the land. And the beast of the land, as we look at the way it is described, is the counterfeit to God the Holy Spirit. In fact, later in Revelations, this beast from the land will be titled the false prophet. And it has everything to do, not with political power, not with economic power, but the blending of those two with religious power in a falsehood. And so can you imagine a government, a world government that brings together all of the political power and all of the economic power and then adds to it a religious component coalescing together against those that love Jesus Christ on this earth. And here is a picture that is described of what the beast from the land or the false prophet, as it is in Scripture, looks like. Handsome, isn't he? Verse 11 says this. Then I saw another beast... Coming out of the earth, he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Interesting. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship. By the way, notice the wording here, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Now, I've seen a lot of pictures, and I was looking through a lot of them, trying to find one that I felt would be an adequate representation of what was described here. But one of the pictures that I saw that an artist had drawn was a, a black wolf clothed in a white sheep's wool, And I thought, how interesting, because it gives the appearance of being one thing, but it acts like something else. That is the way Satan works. Always appears to be one thing, but has no character to back it up. And so this picture comes to us, and and it honestly, it holds the highest aspirations of everything that we might think would be the best of the religious order and belief. But this prophet does not speak the truth. He does not speak that there is only one way to get to the Father, and it's through His Son, Jesus Christ. He does not speak that salvation can be won through no other name but Jesus Christ. In fact, He speaks exactly the opposite of that. And rather than having a life of sacrifice as He appears to, He has a life of control and domination over people. And so this beast that represents the aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to our world is everything opposite of the God, the Holy Spirit that we love and honor so much. And so we are presented here a picture in this 13th chapter of Revelation that in the end times, in the last days, religious power coming from something that's not the Lamb of God but is a pretender will gather together with economic and political power And that this beast that comes from the earth may look like a lamb on the outside, but when he speaks he's got the forked tongue of the dragon. He is the false prophet. I was reading one of the commentaries from a long time ago, and and the writer of this does not live in the day and age in which we lived. In fact, it was over 200 years ago. what he wrote was so fascinating to me because he said this, this beast is described in Scripture as one that will be a propaganda machine. And as I looked at that description, it becomes quite obvious to us as we begin to, do, to wonder, what role will the media play in this? What role will social media platforms play in the propagation of an anti-Christian message. Verse 12 tells us this. He exercised all authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. This is exactly the way that the Holy Spirit works within our life. He works in our heart to glorify Jesus. The the beast that is coming will work in their life to glorify the anti-Christ And do everything to prop him up. In fact, Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit of God would be an active presence working in us. Let me tell you, there's never been a time when it's more important for you to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. It is the discernment that comes to that that will help us determine what is accurate and what is not. There is something called the check of the Holy Spirit that we're going to learn to love. When something just looks and, and you just have this feeling, something's not quite right. Listen to that voice. Learn to listen to that voice. Because the Holy Spirit will take the things that belong to Jesus and make them real to you. The Holy Spirit's job is to spotlight Jesus and, and to encourage all nations to serve Jesus. This false prophet, this beast of the land will counterfeit the work of the Holy Spirit in every way possible and will exercise authority, all the authority of the first beast over the inhabitants of the world to make them worship him. And it tells us in verse 13, and he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Does that not sound like Elijah? In the Old Testament, do you begin to see the effort that the enemy is putting forward to try to make himself like God, to try to confuse the people of the world? And we look at verse 14, and it says, Because of the signs he was given and the power to do these things on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. Here's the message in this. We believe in signs and wonders worked by the Holy Spirit through each of us. We, we all can be used of the Holy Spirit. I have seen the Holy Spirit do things in lives and in healings and deliverance and things that are miraculous. Signs and wonders. However, we cannot be a people in the last days that depend on signs and, and wonders as proof of whether or not something is of God or not, because the enemy has a supernatural power that he works for evil. If you don't believe so, have you ever talked to anybody that's been involved in the occult? Things can move. Things can shift. I cannot tell you how many missionaries I've had conversations with that have walked into places, and there has been demonic power at work there. And so we recognize that this is true. We know that Jesus, when he was in ministry here, went around casting out demons and healing the sick and doing good as the power of the Holy Spirit was upon him. But we will not be able to depend on signs and wonders that we just see without knowing the context of who is being praised in the middle of it all. So we see the power of the second beast and we see the beast of the land that's performing these great miracles on behalf of the Antichrist, deceiving the inhabitants of the earth. And it should be clear to us That unless we are full of the power of the Holy Spirit, unless we are attuned and in touch with what God wants to do in our life, we are not equal to the task of fighting Satan on our own. Scripture goes on to describe the activity of this beast. In the end of verse 14 and 15, he said, He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. You see how many times that's mentioned? Just this. The significance of whatever had happened. We don't know whether it was a a political power that fell that is resurrected. We don't know exactly what this is because there's very little description. But it's mentioned three times so that it will confuse people. Something that had died will be resurrected in an evil way. And he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that he could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Say, Pastor, what What is the message of this? We need to be alert. It causes us to look and to see where history is going. Now we are conscious because we've addressed this so many different times. God Himself will be in control of how human history ends. God himself will close the book. God himself holds the scroll. Jesus himself took the scroll with the seven seals. Jesus himself will be involved in all of that. But there is an enemy who is seeking to deceive and make himself look like something he is not. That if people are looking for the wrong things, will be deceived. And it is this second beast, it is the beast of the earth, it is the false prophet... Because, and this is important, because he is a religious figure who will be the one that imposes the mark of the beast. Let's talk about the mark of the beast a bit. After telling us of all of the supernatural power that this second beast had, this false prophet, it says in verses 16 and 17, he also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, or free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. So first of all, this is in a religious context And this has to do with people pledging allegiance to the kingdom of the Antichrist. And those who pledge allegiance to the Antichrist will then be the ones that will be marked on their forehead or on their right hand. Now, we we look back again of, of how this mirrors what God is doing because way back in chapter 7 of Revelation, do you remember when the people of God were sealed with the Holy Spirit with a seal on their forehead so that he would know those who were his? So here again, we see a weak representation of the sealing that God has already done in the sealing. The mark of the beast is merely, is merely a weak counterfeit to what God has done to seal his own. Back in the first century, Jewish rabbis, we are told, would often wear a little box on their right hand or a little box on their forehead, and in it, they would have a scripture for the day so that they could hold it close to their head and close to their heart. And so everything, when you look at this in the eyes of a first century church, would be a counterfeit to what they were accustomed to. Everything in this chapter counterfeits what God is doing and what He has done. And so there's immense symbolism and meaning here, that the mark would go on the hand or the forehead as people are pledging allegiance to this beast. And then in verse 8 it says, this calls for wisdom. I love the fact that in James it tells us, does any of you need wisdom? He says, because that is the one thing that he gives without measure. As you begin to look at the totality of Scripture and how things fit together, When you pull that verse out of the context of what's taking place in the end times, it means a lot to us. But when we look at it in in terms of this where the Lord is saying, I'm going to let you be taught knowledge and so that in the, the moments that you need it, you will know with wisdom how to rightly apply the knowledge you've attained. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you that. And if anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. Or the, the way it is accurately interpreted in, Greece, in Greek would say, this is the number of mankind. His number is 666. Six, six. What on earth does 666 six, six mean? We do know that in the Greek and Hebrew alphabet, that those letters were also used as Numbers. So the first letter of the alphabet was 1. The second letter of the alphabet was 2. The third, 3, all the way up to 10. And then the 11th number represented 20. The 12th number, 30, and so on. So in the first century church, again, We're looking through the eyes of those who received this first. In the first century church, there was at least one version of Nero's name who was the Roman emperor at that time that was oppressing them, one version of his name that numerically added up to 666. And so they looked at this and they would have fully understood that Nero was a type of antichrist to them. And it was interesting because the Christians were being killed because they would not say, Caesar is my Lord and God. And so from the earliest time, there has always been this tension that the church at one point or another, or individual believers, would have to make a stand whether or not we will be willing to not be ashamed of the gospel or whether we would cave in a moment of pressure. And so they would have understood the number of 666 was associated with emperor worship or demonic or idol worship in the first century. But it also comes to us as this mark of political and religious systems that are apart from Jesus. In fact, at the most elemental level, if you take the word beast in Greek, and of course Revelation was written in Greek, the numeric values of the word beast they come to six. Six. 6. It simply is saying that the way all of the world order is going, everything represents the beast. Everything associated with the fusion of religious power and political power and monetary power is going to become global. This is what it's about. And there's a little bit more insight that's given to us here because we know that the number 3 is a good number. It means complete. The number seven is a divine number, which means completion plus perfection. It's a marvelous number. For those of you that are seven, you're going to grow out of it, but enjoy it. (laughs) Seventy-seven, you're getting better. And if there's anybody in here, 777, wow. So if you go one short of perfection, you come to the number six. And the number six is the number of imperfection. Here's what a few Bible scholars said about this. Dr. George Woods said this. The number of Jesus in Greek, his name made into the Greek equivalent of numbers would be 888. Jesus is always one step past perfection. And the Antichrist is always one step short. Dr. Philip Johnson said 666 therefore represents complete incompletion. The fact that 6 is an incomplete repeated three times which represents completion indicates that 666 is complete incompletion. Hendricks said, it is failure upon failure upon failure. Dr. Mount said, it is the trinity of imperfection. David Jeremiah says this, if we could sum it up and say that the number 666 represents the ultimate in human ingenuity and competence, The Antichrist is the epitome of man's last attempt at ruling the world before Jesus overrules all of those who oppress him. So you see a reoccurring theme. Satan is never good enough. He's never good enough. He always falls short. Those that belong to the Lord, the redeemed, are victorious. And Satan loses. I think the implication... Of the day in which we live particularly as it relates to artificial intelligence I love driving a car that tells me when I'm moving over one way or the other I get a little worried about how people did all that we're living in a world where things are becoming so automated but we live in a world and I just think of how fast the technology has advanced in our world making everything that we read in the 13th chapter incredibly possible incredibly possible And so there could be in the number 666, as David Jeremiah said, the ultimate in human ingenuity and competence. Just when man has created everything we can create and we think we've got it down, it will never amount to more than 666. Never equals God. So what does all this mean? I just just want to wrap this up with a few pastoral perspectives. Dr. James Bradford when he preached this message to Central Assembly felt like he needed to just stop and and he said I need to just bring some clarity to some of the things that so many people are afraid of. I can tell you that through this series I have received more questions and statements and comments and suggestions on how I should approach this chapter on the mark of the beast than any other passage in the entire book. And I want to give you some perspectives that I, I trust will put your heart at ease. First of all, we don't need to be worried about getting tricked into taking the mark of the beast. You need to know that. For those of you who have kids and teenagers that are running around, and, and some of them have said to me, you know, is this gonna, am I gonna be mistaken? Is it gonna happen? No, 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 you don't need to worry about that. And I'm hearing this all over the place, and I want to tell you that when you understand the mark of the beast from a theological perspective of Scripture, you understand that it has everything to do with worship. Everything to do with worship. Everything about the number and the mark and where he places it has to do with people who will willingly worship the beast to be aligned with the Antichrist. And so you need to know, you cannot take the mark of the beast by accident because it has everything to do with worship. How do we know? Because it comes from the false prophet, the fake Holy Spirit. And so there will come a moment when people will have to pledge allegiance at some point. Some of you, I need to, to just tell you, there are many that are walking on that track. You get so used to resisting the Holy Spirit you get so used to sitting in the service, and 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 you hear the word of God. And because we we ha- have the freedom to live in this all the time, we have the freedom of thinking that we're always going to have all the time we need, that I can go ahead and live the way I want now, and at some point, I will be able to just dive back into the grace. Let me tell you something. That is the spirit of Antichrist trying to get you to resist the real move of God that wants to draw you into life more abundantly. And some of you have been influenced by this spirit of Antichrist that is at work within you. And you've been opposed. And today the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart. There's also a lot of fear out there that as it relates to the COVID vaccine. I had a gentleman that was early, came to visit us early in this series. And he waited for me. And at the end of the service, he came to me and he said, Pastor, I have a word from God for you that you were supposed to teach your church I just need you to know, if you ever approach me like that, that's a big red flag. <laughs> and I said, and, and what is your word? He said, God wants me to tell you that COVID 19 vaccine is the mark of the beast. And if the people get it, they're going to go to hell. And my words to him were that is not true, and you have no scriptural support whatsoever. And I don't think he's visited here since then, but I need you to know that there are people out there trying to stir up things that have no theological or scriptural basis. That's why it's important for us to be people that know the Word so that the wisdom of God can help us rightly apply that. I've had others send me emails and text messages they think Bill Gates is encoding a vaccine with microchips and that this is secretly being inserted into people and that somehow that they're going to take this mark and not know it, let me tell you something, none of that is true. It will be something that you will willingly give your allegiance to. It will not sneak up on you. So I am pretty confident that none of the above is true and it has everything to do with your allegiance to a system of a world that's opposed to Jesus. In fact, in the 14th chapter of Revelation, and we'll we'll touch on this a little bit next week, in the ninth verse it says, the third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his images, receives his mark on their forehead or the hand, he too will drink the wine of God's fury which has been poured out in full strength upon his wrath. In other words, it is all about worship. So you can see that... Worshiping the Antichrist will be the job of the false prophet, the fake Holy Spirit, trying to lead people into that. It's not going to be a vaccine. It's not going to happen by mistake. There is a theological integrity to the word that you need to stand on. And our beliefs must have a foundation on Scripture. Dr. Matt Halstead summed it up well when he said this. Whatever the current issue may be, whether it's vaccine or social security number or chip implants or SIM cards, we need to be careful about confusing our personal or political convictions with the meaning of a biblical text, for the mark of the beast will be tied back into worship if it's applied scripturally. Secondly, as your pastor, I want to share this with you. We should avoid the kind of sensationalism that will discredit our testimony in the gospel listen to me some of you spend more time on social media than you do in the word some of you have minds that naturally go toward conspiracy theories and as you begin to feed yourself these things you begin to open a door by which the scriptural foundation that you build on might be easier for you to look over the edge of at something else. I'm going to ask that you begin to think about how those that don't know Jesus receive our testimony if they believe that we live in wacky land. And honestly, it's so easy to get caught up in sensationalism and speculation. And I realized, listen, spiritual sensation sells books and fills churches. You don't think so? Look at all the number of people who are just, boy, show me the next great thing that's happening in a church. Somewhere. I'm running to that because we love that sensationalism. But folks, this is not the time for us to buy into all of that. It's the time to be people of the word and to be able to accurately define what the word of God is and so that our testimony has value and people will allow us influence in their life because of the way we handle his words. And I recognize that there have been speculation throughout the years. You know, the first century church probably thought that Nero was the Antichrist. Turned out not to be. Early Roman Catholic church people probably thought that the popes were the Antichrist. Some called Martin Luther the Antichrist. In the 20th century, it was Stalin and Hitler and Mussolini that were called the Antichrist. Christians are looked at with skepticism when we try to put names out there. We don't know don't know who it is I believe that Satan has lots of people lined up throughout history because he doesn't know when he's going to be needed we do know that there is a spirit of antichrist at work in our world and so I want to tell you that in the eyes and the minds of many unbelievers this sort of stuff this sort of conversation completely discredits the gospel in their eyes so we need to be cautious you can think whatever you want privately You can speculate however you want. Just don't open your mouth, please. Please. Because we don't know for sure when he's coming back. We see all the signs, and I believe we're closer than ever. The signs and the alignment of the spirit of Antichrist and the political power and the globalization and the interconnectedness of economies, we see it all around us. And by the way, there are a lot of prophetic voices out there. A lot of them are wrong. Be careful, yes. be careful, yes. be careful, and lastly, we should be especially alarmed right now not over who the Antichrist is or worrying about the mark of the beast, we should be most concerned about the spiritual drift that's taking place in our own lives. That we get to a place where things become so easy, and I'll fit you in, Lord, when it's convenient. And there's some of you that are watching online right now that you need to be in the house of the Lord, you're capable and you're able, but you have begun to drift into this leisureness of your relationship with God and it it is not leading you closer to the Lord, it's drawing you away. In fact, the scripture tells us and warns us of this in Hebrews chapter 2 when it says this, we must, we must pay more careful attention therefore to what we have heard so that we do not." drift away how many of you know spiritual drift takes place you just take it easy and you never drift toward excellence and you never drift toward holiness you drift away and in the middle of all of this if there's anything that scripture is telling us it's that we need to pay attention and to be alert would you stand with me please this morning Heavenly Father, I pray, I pray that I have accurately interpreted your word to your people today. I have felt permitted and I feel a peace. And so I ask that you would take that and bring it to our lives in just the way we need it right now. That we are not to be a people that have to live in fear of being snookered. It's all about Worship and who owns our heart and our allegiance So Lord today I pray if there is anybody here today in this room that has never pledged allegiance to Jesus Never allowed him to forgive you of your sins. You've never allowed him into your life You don't know what it feels like to have your sins forgiven You don't know the joy that comes from not having to live in worried state every day but today, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. What I'm going to ask you to do is, I start at the right side of the sanctuary, my right, your left, is just look at me so I can pray with you. Yes, ma'am, I agree 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 with you. Now moving into the left center section. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Moving now into your right center section. Is this your moment? Is this the time you finally say yes to the knocking of the door on your heart? Moving now over all the way to the far right into the overflow. Those of you in the back, I may not be able to see. You may have to wave a hand at me if you'd like me to pray with you. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Yes sir, I agree with you. So Father, you told us that your genuine word would never return void. That when it is proclaimed in the anointing of the Holy Spirit that you unlock hearts. And we are grateful that at this very moment, you are unlocking hearts, forgiving sin, Speaking life into things that people had wanted to keep covered Forgiving them, wiping them away and giving them a brand new start in life You are writing their name down in the Lamb's book of life Giving them the hope of eternity as a joint heir with Jesus And for that we rejoice that your word is still winning people To our Savior Jesus And we thank you But now a word for the church if you're here today and there has been moments in your life when you were closer to the Lord than you are today and that spiritual drift and for those of you that are watching online I want you to listen to this spiritual drift has begun to take place for whatever reason you can call it convenience you can call it anything you want but there is a value in gathering together in the house of the Lord there's a a, a, a value in watching and, and engaging worship together but if there is drift in your life today would you just lift a hand so that I can pray with us all over this room, all over this room. So, Father, here we stand. We need you so desperately. This isn't intended to scare us, Lord. It's intended to encourage us. We will be filled with the wisdom of your word and know what we're looking for. We see signs of things taking place around us, and it makes our pulse quicken because we are so close to being able to see you. And so, Father, I pray that you would draw us back today, that the drift within our life would be addressed by your Holy Spirit. As you draw us back, may we get back in the Word, may we get back in prayer, may we get back into fellowship, O Lord, not letting the circumstances of this virus take us out of the practices of worshiping you. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would cover your church, not just Grace Assembly, but your worldwide church, cover us with the help and health that we need through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we, if we are called upon, can take our stand, having been marked and sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray your blessing over your church today in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen.